This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by Evan Grant. Hi, Evan. Oh, hi. Evan likes to act like he's doing something else, which he usually is. He's usually I, I, not paying attention. I was. What's up, Kerwin? And, and then on the phone from Miami, on yet another boondoggle, David Moore. Hi, David. How are you? I wouldn't actually call it a boondoggle, but you seem to label anytime anyone is not in the studio a boondoggle. I don't know that well, Kevin and I agree with that labeling. But Kevin believes yes, that I am in Miami. Thank you. Kevin firmly believes that when you are out on an assignment covering a major event, that is a boondoggle, unless it's him. Well, most of the time, Evan has come up with some idea you know, where he goes to the boss and he says, listen... I really think if I go to Nassau that I can get this really good story on a janitor who worked for the Rangers in 1967. And it works out as a great every, story. Every time, every time they go for it. It's unbelievable. Uh, so, well, David. This is interesting, but this is interesting, but I have to go deep sea fishing. So <laughs> can, can we pick this up a little bit? Okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, David, I, I was, I was gonna, I'm going to tell a little story here about the Super Bowl uh, and and the difference in the in the years. Back in uh, this was in the 80s. I'm going to say, and, and and people know this kind of stuff much better than I do. If if Tim Callishaw were asked this question, he could remember the year, the time, the date, the day, whatever. Uh, I was covering a Super Bowl in New Orleans, and uh, uh, the 49ers were playing. And then after the game, who were they playing? I believe they were playing the Bengals. I believe that was the that was the Super Bowl. Okay, and uh, and so the Forty ers win, and I go down after the game, and I go into the locker room just like you you know did in the old days, and go up to Joe Montana's locker, and there's like three of us standing there talking to Joe Montana after they've just won the Super Bowl. Uh, that kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. You don't you don't you no longer have that kind of uh, uh, access where it's quite so personal. Now you go to a press conference, and there's 400 people in there and uh, the guy standing at a microphone and and the answers are never quite as good or the story uh, media night as they hit had here last night and you have it at marlin stadium where they put 12 players at booths and um and then the others you just grab around but again you'll you'll have 20 people around uh, the backup quarterback. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. You'll have, you'll have, now this is more of a reflection on the media, but you'll have 15 to 20 media people around other media people who are doing bits to get noticed by the media. Yes. Nobody would ever do a, nobody from Dallas Fort Worth would ever do a bit, would they? Oh my God. Not from this market, no. no. I, I know that's because we take everything seriously. Yeah. I think there's. So a, I heard there was 
a media member at the media night that's that may have dressed up in um full punt pass and kick Andy Reid uh the Andy Reid look, yes. <laughs> but that was that certainly would not have been a Dallas Fort Worth media member, right? Well, except it may have been Dan McDowell from the ticket. Oh, oh yeah, he'd never do a bit. Yeah, that's nice. It was very well received. Apparently it was. It was apparently the star of Media Night, which now is apparently about the media. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's super. Uh, okay, so, David, you're at the Super Bowl. Tell us who's there. <laughs> <laughs> in, in what respect? <laughs> that's, a, that's a rather broad question. You know, this is – I'm, I'm this also from the man who asked off, off mic <laughs> – why didn't Dak Prescott play in the <laughs> Pro Bowl? To which David responded, uh, well, he wasn't invited. Well, I get people asking me these kind of questions. Well, I think you had a pretty good answer for him. Well, okay. Uh, so, uh, uh, David, what, uh, what is the um, – I, I guess the, the, the question that we'd have is, like, what is the storyline of this Super Bowl, of the Chiefs and Niners? Well – I think the the way they have played leading up to this, you really kind of have a new school versus old school. Uh, you have with, with Patrick Mahomes and, and all the motion and speed that Kansas City has offensively. Um, you know, you've heard for several years, this is where the NFL is going. Uh, this is what every team is going to become. I've always maintained there's not enough speed and not enough uh, – it's the positions that you need and not enough uh, coaches who are willing to go all in on this style in order for the entire league to move in that direction. But, but there has been a narrative and, and there's some substance to it that, you know, the, the, the league is becoming more wide open, uh, which are, you know, some more creative offensively uh, getting people in space, just using uh, out, outstanding speed and, and, and putting up, uh, you know, offenses that, that defenses, no matter how good, really can't stop because you spread them out too much. Well, now you have San Francisco come in, and while I, I, I certainly don't think they were a throwback for most of the season in, in this ground-and-pound style, um, you have them advancing to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo throwing only eight passes in an NFC championship game. And I think most people would have told you uh, they would not have envisioned that in today's NFL. Um, not only did they envision it, it made sense for them to do it because they were so dominant on the ground. And that's what the NFL has always been. Once you swing in one direction, um, you know, if, if you are becoming a, a league that's more about passing and, and just getting matchups and getting people in space and you don't care all that much about the run, uh, you're going to draft defenses to stop the more of those offenses that are out there. Well, in doing that, now suddenly you have undersized, quicker defenders, and what's the best way to attack an undersized, quick defense? Overpower them with the run. So there, there's always this pendulum in the NBA, in the NFL game, uh, and, and as there as there is in all sports. And you're, you know, you're seeing a little bit here. I, I just find it interesting that, um, you know, we're what, 14, 15 months removed from that uh, Kansas City-L.A. Rams game last year. It was 51-48, which everyone said was the precursor of what was to come in the league. And now 14 months later, 
Uh, you have a, a San Francisco team advancing to the Super Bowl through eight times in a championship game. I think that, you know, because I get people who write me and tell, and tell me these things too and say, see, this is what the Cowboys should do. This is the way the, the league is going. And it's like, you know, the sample sizes on all of this are too small for me. You know, uh, just because something happens one year uh, or in one game, one weekend, in, in, in football where you play 16 games, it's just not a big enough sample size to say – this is what's going to happen all the time. And, and as you said, it, it all has to do with personnel and, and what you have and what fits you the best. Um, but I will say that uh, this is kind of an inexorable thing that's going is happening here because college football is driving the NFL. Now, it used to be the other way around. It used to be top-down, you know, what the NFL did and everybody else did. Uh, and, and now college football is driving – pro football and, and its innovations and the things that they do. I think it's this way in pretty much it, – it, it's becoming widespread in all sports. I think that colleges are, are being used kind of as the laboratory for, well, for pro sports. I, I, well, pro sports are having to adapt because, again, the athletes they're getting are trained in a particular style, and there are more of them. And so when you draft, you wind up with these athletes, and then you say, okay, how, how do I adapt my system? So yeah, it is a it is a bottom up rather than a top down system, which it had been for a long time. Uh, but but the one thing that I that I see in all this that I uh, I think will be uh, interesting to see how the NFL reacts because in 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 college football you've got eighty five people on your roster, and so you can play these games where you're where you know you're upwards of. 85 plays in a game well you're, you're not going to do that in pro football these uh these guys are are playing you know i guess i don't know what the chiefs are doing but i would i would estimate they're probably in the high 60s maybe uh most weeks uh and that's a lot uh for pro football which used to be in the 40s and 50s so uh it'll be interesting to me to see if if pro football will evolve to the point of, of the colleges where you had that that uh um that many plays happening, I think the difficult part of that is you're only carrying 53 men on your roster, and they're not even all active uh, every week. Uh, I, I I do think that in pro football they should expand the rosters. I think there's a lot of reasons for it, other than the fact that that you're you're trying to to get more guys uh, because you're running more plays and guys might be more exhausted. But um, I, I think that'll that'll be interesting to me to see how pro football handles that part of it, if uh, it will go all in like college football has done and the number of plays that are run, and, and then, of course, changing the tempo of the game. Uh, you know, and we, we saw last year with the Cowboys, they were very effective at doing that because I think that uh, Dak Prescott is comfortable running that kind of offense. I, I think he, he looks more comfortable in that kind of offense. Uh, but what we saw was that in those games, the Cowboys also – Struggled to win some of those. Uh, they were they were putting up points and they were uh, and they were moving the ball down the field, uh, but they were also keeping their defense out on the field and uh, and that's not something that uh, the Cowboys ever want to do. Well, I think you know if this was only an issue of the skill players, I think you would already see the NFL gain even farther down the road to what you were talking about. Uh, but to me, it's not about the skill players; it's about uh, the offensive and defensive linemen. And you're getting, you know, there, there's a big difference in those that, you know, the, the line play, I, I think, from going to college to pro. And you're getting the, you know, I mean, you can have like a dominant offensive line, 
in college, it may be only one of those players is good enough to go to the pros, and maybe not even then. Uh, so, you know, you're to me that that's the size element that makes a difference. The other is you still have a uh, you know if if you're going to play that style, you basically have to abdicate some defensive responsibility <laughs> or, or some grounding and just go, you know what, we're, we're going to win shootouts. Yeah, we still want good athletes defensively, but um, we're willing to put our defense out on the field more than it should be because we're an explosive offense and we score quickly. Well, then I, I don't know that, that you still have enough defensive coaches coaches with a defensive background in this league or coaches that are conservative enough in the NFL that I don't know that you're going to get total buy-in on that either. Um, you know, so, and again, I, I think it's interesting. You look at teams who, you know, even go back, um, say, last year with, uh, with New England. Um, they were passing a lot early in the year, and then late in the year they became a running team. And, you know, San Francisco has, has done that to some extent this year. You know, we talked, you know, the Titans as well. Um, they were a much more effective running team late in the season than they were early in the season. And you, you have to, you have to do both. You have to be able to do both. And, uh, I, I go back to the Rams last year as well. Uh, I mean, look at, uh, they were, you know, spreading the ball around, going all over the field. Uh, how did they just, beat Dallas. They had two guys run for more than 100 yards. So um, you have to be diverse offensively. Uh, but to me, the, the key is just, and I know we talked a little bit about this last week, you just have to determine what you want your identity to be. And that's what the Cowboys need to do. I mean, the Cowboys can pass more if they want. They can run more if they want. They just need to form an identity while doing that and and have a feel for the game on when to run and when to pass in a game and uh, go about it that way. Because I think this year, it's been very clear year in and year out in the NFL, as much as everyone wants to attach, attach significance on a style of play based on who wins the Super Bowl, you can win the Super Bowl with many different styles just as long as you're good at it. Correct. Okay, but uh, I, I wanted to talk more about the Cowboys and some of the things going on, obviously, uh, with Amari Cooper. Uh, with, yeah, never mind with the Dak Super Prescott, Bowl. With, with, hold on a second. I said with contracts. But I want to talk about uh, – Contracts. I say I said contracts. <laughs> Listen, you're the guy over there with the hearing aids on. Don't be, don't be talking about how I'm talking, okay? Contracts. <laughs> you know, Evan – in a minute, I'm just going to be quiet and let you talk to David and then come up with all of your fine questions. I have a lot of them. Yeah, you do. Um, the um, What was I going to say? I'm, I'm, all dis- I'm all discombobulated. You were now. talking about contracts. Contracts. Amari uh, Cooper and Dak Prescott and priorities. Let's talk about Patrick Mahomes. You know, I don't think we talked about Wait a minute. You just no, I said before we talk about all that. Oh, okay. If you've been listening, you'd have heard me say that. Well, I'm going to interrupt. I'm gonna, I am going to interrupt here, and I will say that Kevin Sherrington was the conductor on the Patrick Mahomes Express. That's correct. Three years ago. That's correct. I will say this: I had before no he ever started a game in the NFL, I believe you were you were very outspoken in talking about that he was the best quarterback in college football. And that you thought he was the best suited to be an NFL star. 
I said he'd be a star. And I, I, listen, I had no idea he'd be this good. Uh, I thought he'd be a star. I thought he'd be really good. I thought it might take him a little bit of time to get adjusted. He's just such a great. He was just such a great athlete. You know, there were so many things he could do. If you watched those Texas Tech games, he's lifting that team. I know they didn't win a lot of games with him there, but he's responsible for for almost all of the wins. I don't know. I don't know how many games they would have won without him. You know, if they're winning five, they might have won one without him. So uh, he was tremendous, and and that is the thing. I I I I have written and said that, that uh, Aaron Rodgers is the most. I think the most maybe the most talented quarterback ever to play the position. But I only say that because Mahomes has only been in the league a couple of years. I don't know that I have ever seen a quarterback in the NFL who can do all the things that he does uh, consistently. We, we've seen lots of quarterbacks who had talent. Uh, and, you know, I can remember stories about Joe Gilliam, who played for the Steelers, that talking about how he would throw out routes in practice behind his back. You know, so he he could do unbelievable things. Uh, but for a guy to do them in big games the way that Patrick Mahomes has done it uh, consistently, uh, all the things he can do, uh, it, it, he's just a marvel to watch. He he is, and and you know that's that's the thing um, to do them. You have to be successful when you do them. Her coaches aren't going to let you do it. And uh, his side-on throws uh, to, to get around incoming uh, the, the rush, uh, the way he fits the ball and moves it and, and, and throws, you know, throws it from any angle. It's just that there are very few players in the league uh, that we have seen. Some of them can do maybe one or two of those, but he does it from so many different angles and, and is so successful at it. Uh, it, it's really, uh, I mean, he, he is a joy to watch. Uh, there, there's, there's no one else like him in the league at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah. So I don't, you know, so it's because of that, you know, it, it's hard to say, oh, well, this is what teams should be doing. Well, you don't have Patrick Mahomes back there, uh, making plays exactly. for it. Yeah. You know, that, that and was, you don't have to rekill, you don't have to rekill. Uh, on one side, and you don't have Travis Kelsey as, as uh, your tight end. Yeah, that's that. That's the other thing. Tyreek Hill is is an unbelievable, you know, talent. Trying to cover him is impossible, you know. And that and that's the thing that that you know that Patrick does back there is he 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 buys you a little bit of time. Uh, and how long can anybody cover Tyreek Hill? I mean, I don't even know if you can cover him uh, for three or four seconds, much less you know five or six. So uh, they, then you have Sammy Watkins on the other side who has good speed. Which again is why Kelsey is going to be open underneath. I mean, you're going to have if you're going to bracket, uh, if you're afraid of getting beat deep, and Mahomes has shown that he'll throw it deep. Uh, they always have to be concerned about the deep pass. I mean, they they just have the uh, exquisite balance offensively in, in their ability to attack vertically or horizontally if they want to. So, so because of all of the things they can do on offense and how good they are, and, and I'll have to say until recently, and I was looking up some stuff, I hadn't realized that, uh, that uh, Andy Reid's coaching tree was as extensive as it is. Um, how much do you think that that means? Uh, when a guy has been able to, uh, first of all, uh, I would get, do you think that in Philadelphia they regret uh, you know, that, uh, that they got rid of Andy Reid? No, 
because they won a Super Bowl two years after he was gone. Yeah, that's what uh, I was, that, that, that would be my one caveat. Yeah, he won and, a Super Bowl. And, and the other thing is, I mean, Andy Reid had a long tenure in Philadelphia. And, uh, and, and just because you are a successful coach, there's – we know there, there's a time and a place when your tenure in, in a situation just kind of naturally does come to an end and probably needs, needed that change, and, and so did Andy Reid. That's probably true. Yeah. But but let me ask you this. Do, do you think it's important uh, that a coach uh, has, a, has a coaching tree? I mean, is it important that this guy – has is producing people who went on to become I believe that that Andy Reid has seven no it's, it's 10 I think 10 guys that have have uh, coached under him and gone on to be head coaches that's that's really impressive um I think it, it doesn't tell you anything about the person as a as a coach or as a manager per se but it tells you ab- about him as a leader and that guys who empower coaches mm-hmm. or assistants to do their jobs um, who give them some autonomy, who listen to them, and who have a way of communicating that kind of inspires them, that's what leads to a coaching tree. And, and inevitably, you know, it's not like guys who stink as, as, as a coach or a manager, they probably don't have much of a coaching tree. I mean, success is the, is, is the first component of that. But after everything else, it gets down to your communication style, which is, as, as I've said, regardless of sport, the number one element of coaching in today's game is communication. Mm-hmm. True. Uh, but, but the reason I, I ask that is because, you know, as we know, Jason Garrett's you know, head coaching tree is not very extensive. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not saying. Non-existent. Yeah, it's non-existent. I guess that's right. Well, Mark Colombo. <laughs> no, well, no, no head coaches. No head coaches, right? No. Out of, out of uh, Jason's no. uh, tenure. Uh, but I've, it, and Andy Reid, like Jason Garrett, has, has never won a Super Bowl. So, but again, he's had many people go on to have success who who tutored under him, and that goes to I think everything you know. Both of you are talking about just the uh, not just the ability to communicate and and empower those under you, but but picking the right people and, and having a system that other organizations in the league want to duplicate. And so th- that is why, I mean, Andy Reid's a big reason you're seeing more people say, well, uh, you know, th- this league is going to a more up-tempo style. Um, he- he's one of the coaches at the forefront of that. Yeah. And to give this example, uh, I've always been interesting to me. If you look back in, in college football in the 60s, uh, two of the great programs, certainly two of the great programs in the Southwest Conference, but across over in the in, in the whole nation, were Arkansas and Texas, uh, Frank Broyles and Daryl Royal. Two, they were best friends. You know, they were the same age. They they retired at the same time as head coaches. You know, it's it's a it's a great story. Frank Broyles had um, several guys who went on to be head coaches. Guys like Joe Gibbs and and and, and Barry Switzer and you know and on and on and on. And and Daryl Royal didn't. And Daryl Royal had Fred Akers and and uh, Emory Ballard. And uh, Spike Dykes, uh, but it wasn't nearly the the coaching tree that they had at Arkansas. And, and in Arkansas, Frank uh, did run it like a CEO. The guys all did, you know. Uh, he, he gave them a lot of power to, to to do what they had to do. 
Uh, I'm assuming that uh, that was not the case at, at Texas with, with what uh, Daryl did with those guys. And yet Daryl won three national championships and Arkansas won one. So yeah, I, but I would just I, the only thing I would ca- I would place as a caveat on any of this is I, I just think management styles from the from the fifties and sixties are greatly are I don't want to say outdated, but I think it's it's greatly evolved since then. But well, but I know sure. what you're I, I see your point. I mean, two contemporaries who did things in two different ways. I just I, I don't know that you can say that Daryl Royal. You can't make a verdict on Daryl Royal. Um, uh, based on the fact that he didn't have much of a coaching tree. Oh no, no, no! Royal. I'm not saying that he's yeah. not a good, great coach. Obviously, he's a great coach. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that it's not necessarily an indicator if you have that big coaching tree. I, I think it's, you know, it's it's just interesting to me to see that. You know, I, the, the I was at the memorial service the other day for Hayden Fry, and that was the, you know, all the talk was about, you know, the, the great coaching tree that he had at Iowa. You know, he had. At one time, he had Bill Snyder and Bob Stoops and Kirk Ferentz and, and Barry Alvarez uh, on his staff. Uh, that's a tremendous staff to have. Those guys all went on to big success. They were all really good coaches. Uh, so uh, that, that's interesting to me. I don't, I don't know that it necessarily makes you uh, uh, a, a better uh, head coach. It doesn't necessarily mean you have more success. Guys are coming and going on your staff. You're not – Having quite as much continuity, probably as you as you do if you if guys are, are with you forever, uh, it, it's just interesting uh, to me. Uh, an interesting discussion. I, I'm, there's no way to quantify any of that and what it means, but I, I, it's still intriguing to me. I, I'd like to know in the end uh, if there is a different kind of uh, uh, quality to the to the coaches' meetings. If if uh, if that if that trickles down to the players, if if they sense a difference because of that, if, if you know, you would you would think probably uh, maybe they're getting coached better. I don't know, uh, but uh, anyway, it's uh, it's something that that certainly worked for for Andy Reid, uh, and uh, and and now he's in a place where he can win a Super Bowl. I'm going to say he's not winning this Super Bowl, though. I, I like the 49ers. They they have a really – I think they have an offense capable of doing a lot of things, uh, and they have a really good defense. Uh, the Chiefs' defense uh, isn't nearly as good as the 49ers. Now, that just what we talked about a while ago. There have been times when the it looked like the 49ers were getting shut out or having struggles, and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 they come back, you know, and it's – in just a matter of minutes, they've uh, they regained control of, of games. Uh, I'm not saying that the the Chiefs can't win. I'm just saying I'm picking the 49ers to win this game. What about you, Evan? I'm, I'm going to pick the uh, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. I just think they have they have the more talented players, certainly on offense. Yes, uh, I, I, I think the, I, I think so the 49ers have a, have have a better defense and have. Have really an outstanding defense, but I, I just think that the the cream of the crop in terms of, of players here are uh, are on that Chiefs offense, and and I think that um, I, I think at this level you just you're not going to be able to stop them. And and I also do put some credence into this that listen the the Chiefs for all intents and purposes uh, are on that arc, right? They they went to the AFC Championship game last year. Um, I, I, I think they've got uh, a little bit more, uh, for lack of a better term, experience just at, at, at this type of level of game right now. And, and so um, I, I'm, taking, I'm, I'm taking the Chiefs. How about you, David? Well, you're 
talking about experience, I think uh, Richard Sherman has more Super Bowl experience than the entire Chiefs roster, I believe. So, <laughs> yeah, um, right. you know, look, I, I think San Francisco's the better all-around team. Um, I, I would go beyond outstanding defense. I, I think they've shown they're a dominant defense. Um because they can do just about everything you need to do defensively. Uh, they can stop the run. They're good against the pass. Uh, they get outstanding pressure uh, consistently um, on quarterbacks. Uh, they're going to make it. They're going to make portions of the game very difficult. But I, I think we've seen something in Mahomes in this offense in this postseason that is that that's always going to be in the mind of any opponent, which is, so what if we're up 14-0 or 21-0? This team can come back in the blink of an eye, and they can look bad, and they can have a a couple of three and outs, and suddenly you're up 10-0 and you're controlling the clock, and a minute 24 later they score, and then they get a stop, and then two minutes after that they get another score. Um I, I just think Kansas City's ability to do that, uh, to, to be held and, and not to look good for a quarter, a quarter and a half, or maybe even a half, and uh, then just explode to take complete control of the game, which they've done in both of their playoff games, um, I, I don't think you can overlook that. And I think the fact they've done it twice in the postseason, uh, I would lean toward them. I, I just think that the Mahomes in this offense is – more dominant than even San Francisco's defense has been to get to this point. So I, I would go with the Chiefs. But, but cer- I mean, certainly San Francisco could win, and and they're in a you know they can get ahead, and and I think they're a little bit better equipped to manage the game the rest of the way, and I think they're better passing uh, than uh, certainly Tennessee was overall. But. Um, the, the level Mahomes is playing is, is is really something right now. Yeah, that's that's hard to that's hard to beat. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going with the 49ers. Now let me I want to. So, so wait a minute. So basically, you're just going against both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All sure. Right. I think that I think that my record this year against uh, has been pretty good on picking games, pal. Congratulations. Yeah, it was very good. Um, and you know, and when somebody wrote, Can we me, talk about all those other years. I think last year it was also I was also number one, but you know I don't. Want to, no, I don't think so. I guess against the against the line, I think I was. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, but anyway, I don't. I, but, but anyway, let's let's not talk about how great I am. digress. Yeah, let's not talk about how great I am. Uh, the 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 49ers, I want to break some news here. Last year they were four and twelve. And now they're in the Super Bowl. The year before that, they were six and ten. The year before that, two and fourteen. The year before that, five and eleven. The year before that, eight and eight. You know, Jason Garrett uh, got ripped for being Mister Eight and Eight, uh, which he did, I believe, four times. David, is that right? Does that sound right? Yes, he did, uh, including the last one. Yeah, three straight, and then the, his last year's head coach. Yeah, until, until this year, the Forty ers would have taken that. Uh, they'd have taken eight and eight uh, for a while there. They were they've been pretty pitiful. And then in three years, Kyle Shanahan has done a, a tremendous job of bringing. And of course, I, I think Kyle Shanahan's done a great job, uh, but but so has the GM John Lynch. He's uh, really put together uh, a tremendous roster, uh, and I, I think that that's this is one of the reasons why 
Troy Aikman uh, really wants to be a GM. Uh, I think he's looked at seen what uh, an old safety has done over there um, in drafting and, and putting that together. And they're, uh, certainly that defensive line is tremendous. Uh, and, and, and what John Elway did, uh, especially early when he went in for uh, Denver. Yeah, What absolutely. he did there. So yeah, I think there absolutely. are a couple of high-profile examples that Troy looks at and says, you know, I, I can do the same. Oh, yeah. Real quickly on the point you brought up about San Francisco. Yeah. You want to go back? So you go back to that 2012 season, which was they went to the Super Bowl that year as well, um, lost to Baltimore. But since 2012 to now, uh, so you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, and last eight seasons, San Francisco has been to the Super Bowl twice in the last eight seasons. Yeah. Who has a better regular season record, the Cowboys or the 49ers over that span? Yeah, the Cowboys do. Yeah. Yeah, the, the 49ers are actually, they've been to the Super Bowl twice in the last eight seasons. They were under 500. They're 61, 66, and 1. That's a winning percentage of 476. The Cowboys in that span are 72 and 56, which is 562. So, again, that just underscores the frustration the Cowboys have had with uh, being one of the top teams in the NFC in the regular season really over the last decade and having nothing to show for it when, when other teams, uh, you know, are, are much more erratic but are able to seize the moment. How much of that, and, and yeah, and that's certainly the case. How much of that is a factor? Do you think that when you go, let's let's look here at those Chiefs records again. Uh, when you have a, a, a two win season, uh, six wins, four wins, five wins, obviously you're drafting a lot higher. Let, let's look when the Cowboys went uh, four and twelve, and then they were they had the fourth pick of the draft. They get Zeke Elliott. Yeah, that draft was a lot better than their subsequent draft. Sure. Yeah. And and it's not just. To me, it's not just the first round. It's the fact that you're getting to draft at the top of each of the succeeding rounds. Um, you know, I, I think really you can really make your draft when you're at the top of the second, third, and fourth round. That gives you a big, big edge. And uh, you saw it the year the Cowboys came off of four and twelve, and and you see it in some of these teams because they're they're down and and uh, I mean this, you know. But, Look, now San Francisco's built differently than Dallas. They really kind of went in and uh, they threw a lot of their resources in the defensive line, in the defensive front. Right. Uh, Cowboys, when they were rebuilding, threw theirs into the offensive front. Um, either one's valid, um, but you know I, I think that's one difference in the two teams and the organizations. Yeah. Uh, so uh, before, I, I want to go back uh, to, to the thing we mentioned earlier about contracts before we uh, get out and let David get back to uh, uh, fly fishing or deep sea fishing, whatever it was he was going to be doing, uh, is that uh, a couple of contracts are, are expected to be worked out here at some point. Uh, number one and number two, according to Stephen Jones, number one, Dak Prescott, number two, Amari Cooper. Um David, do both of those get done in the off season? And well, they have to get done. If they're going to bring these guys back. Uh, do will they get franchise tags? Will they get transitional tags? Will they get contracts? What will happen? Well, I, I my belief is that uh, Dak Prescott will get his contract because Dallas will just pay more than they wanted to, just like they did with Ezekiel Elliott. But they know he's a quarterback going forward. 
they know if they wait beyond this year, it's going to go up even more with, as Patrick Mahomes signs his contract, as Deshaun Watson signs his new contract. Um, now, again, it, it still has to be within reason. I mean, people were throwing out the number $40 million last year average. Well, that, that was $5 million a year average beyond the highest-paid quarterback, which was Russell Wilson with an average of uh, $35 million. And um, I believe... Uh, the Cowboys, rightfully so, would point out that Russell Wilson had played in two Super Bowls and won one of them. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know that that forty million is realistic. But look, Dak Prescott bet on himself this season, and and he his contract will be a lot larger than what he would have signed last year based on his performance this past season. He did nothing to raise any doubts whatsoever about his ability to lead this team. And if anything, he just he gave them more confidence that he can play, um, that, that some of his weaknesses, the deep, you know, down-the-field throws, uh, the ability to carry a team if, if things weren't working uh, with Ezekiel Elliott, um, he could do that. Now, again, he did that, and they were 8-8, eight and eight, so that's, gonna, that's also going to be a conversation as well. But but he showed just from a skill standpoint um, that he's not just, uh, you know, a, a guy to hand off and, and make a few plays for you here and there. So uh, I think he greatly helped his stock uh, or reinforced himself, uh, enhanced his earning power with this past season. And the Cowboys are just going to, look, they're going to say, you know, at some point they're going to sit there and go, okay, his representatives are asking for more than we want to give, but is it so much more that we can't go ahead and get this deal done? Because my belief is they need to get that deal done to give themselves the latitude with, with Amari Cooper and uh, uh, and then still have a transition tag if they want to use that to keep Byron Jones for another year or another one of their players for another year. So um, I think just from the inevitability inevitability standpoint and the strategic standpoint that if Dak Prescott receives a franchise tag, I think it will be much like the the second franchise tag that Demarcus Lawrence got, where it's just there to to finish the details of the contract over a week or two and then get it done and then remove it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he will be done sooner rather than later. Okay. Amari Cooper uh, he is number two on the list. I, I think they want to keep him, but um, if they can't, you know, he has new representation. If they can't reach an agreement, I think they're completely comfortable putting a franchise tag on him and going another year and say, okay, um, well, you were dominant early last year. Injuries caught up with you. Um, you weren't that effective later in the year. Um Let's see if you can stay healthy for a whole year, and, and then let's talk. So I, I think that um, while they're both priorities, I, I put Dak Prescott in a, at a much different priority level than I would Amari Cooper. Sure. Okay, David. One last. This is a. This is a. I'm, I'm, I don't want the, this to be too open ended here. Uh, are they going to have enough money? Just a, give me a yes or no. Are they going to have enough money after Dak and Amari and after they've already given these big contracts to Demarcus Lawrence and Ezekiel Elliott under the new cap, uh, are they going to have enough money to go out and sign somebody to shore up the defensive line? Dep- 
depending on how the contract structured. Yeah. Yes. Um, like I said, they they have a they have money they can carry over from last year. Um, they, they actually have the fifth most money going into this season, into this off season. Now they only have about thirty nine players under contract with that money, so obviously they're right. uh, it's going to be eaten up pretty quick, uh, especially if you put a big money contract on on Dak, which you which you will do. So I mean, yeah, Dak Dak's going to be the biggest hit. I mean, he's going from a guy who made two million on the cap, yeah, uh, to one who's going to jump up in the in the you know mid thirties, depending on how the contract is structured in the in the thirties. Mm-hmm. So you're losing a lot of flexibility there. Yeah. For sure. All right, David, thanks for coming on with us. It's always great to have you on. Uh, and, uh, and David, will you be back with us next week? I will be in the air next week when the show is being produced. You will oh, be in the no. air. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's the way that'll makes go. Makes me sad. I'll have to be here with Kevin alone. <laughs> I'm here. Sounds like a combustible. Oh, mess. listen, there's Tommy. Tommy, See? you turned your microphone on. Tommy, we love it when Tommy's on. <laughs> Tommy's the captain now, as as Brian said. Uh, so anyway, well, thanks, David. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for our uh, our Super Bowl slash Cowboys podcast. Uh, we're also going to have one talking about the Rangers, I suppose, aren't we, Evan? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Have a good time, David. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.